You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, episode 136, Why and How to Set Loving Limits with Our Children. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. From the beginning of my children's lives, I've cared deeply about being a loving, empathetic, positive parent. I've read lots of books about parenting without shame and focusing on the good with my kids, and I feel like I do that well. But as my kids have gotten older, I'm starting to recognize more and more that an area I struggle with is setting limits with my kids. I like to think that I'm a consistent parent, that I'm not too much of a pushover, but then sometimes I see the ways that my children behave out in the world and I cringe, realizing that I have definitely been too permissive and honestly, that's not fair to my kids. They need a parent who has insisted upon respectful limits. So is it possible to be both a positive parent who guides my children without shame and a firm parent who holds them to consistent and important boundaries? Of course it is, but it's so much easier said than done, and I feel like this is an area that isn't all that clearly fleshed out within the literature on positive parenting. That's why I'm thrilled to have my dear friend back on the podcast today, clinical psychologist Dr. Katie Penry. Katie specializes in early childhood attachment, development, and psychoanalytic theory. She's just released her first book called The Parenting Toddler's Workbook, Manage Your Child's Mood, Potential, and Well-Being. And her book is fabulous, truly. As I read through my advanced copy, the portions that really jumped out at me were about setting loving limits with your toddler. I've been in Katie's home and I've watched her parent her two young children using these tools. And frankly, it's pretty amazing. I can't help but think that if I had known these strategies when my kids were younger, I could have done a better job at it too. That's why I believe this book is a gift to parents of littles, and I hope that you'll grab a copy for yourself and also enjoy this conversation today where we will be breaking down why having limits is so important and how to do that in a loving way. And even if your kids are way older than toddler age, I still think this conversation applies and it is never too late. At least that's what I'm telling myself since my kids are eight and four and we've kind of missed the toddler boat, but I still have hope that I can start to have loving boundaries with them. By way of background on how this episode will be set up, when I recorded this conversation with Katie, it ended up being almost an hour long and I thought, it's fine, I'll just pull out the gems and trim it down as I edit it. But then I went to edit it and I couldn't figure out what to cut because there were just so many gems. Katie is a parenting genius and I really feel like parents need all the help we can get with this topic. So I decided to split the conversation into two episodes, which will air back to back. In this first portion of the conversation, we will really dive into how to decide what your limits with your kids should be. Because as Katie points out in the interview, if your limits are thoughtfully and intentionally decided upon ahead of time, they are so much easier to enforce in a stressful or exhausted moment. And then next Monday in part two, we'll discuss how to actually follow through with the limits you've brainstormed and clarified and how to lovingly hold your boundary with your kids. I'm so excited to bring this series to you, and I hope that this conversation will be as transformative for you as it was for me. Before we jump in, I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, an amazing podcast for kids. 
Podcasts are my secret weapon when my kids are fighting in the car and I'm about to explode. Instead of yelling at them, I turn on a kid's podcast and I swear they almost immediately get quiet as they're swept into the stories. It's kind of like magic. And our current favorite is Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, which features the stories of different female pioneers, creators, champions, leaders, and warriors from history, all told as engrossing bedtime story fairy tales. My eight-year-old son Noah particularly loves the show, and after he recently listened to an episode about Katia Kraft, the famous and fearless volcanologist, he immediately went to his room and built an elaborate volcano scene using Legos and a humidifier. I love that the stories of real-life heroes inspire his creative play. You may know that Bravery Magazine sponsored 3 and 30 for the month of June, and Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls is an amazing companion to that resource. In fact, many of the women who've been featured in Bravery Magazine have also been featured by Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, including Yusra Mardini, Julia Child, Temple Grandin, and more. I feel like it's so important for my children to hear about the people that I'd love for them to emulate more than once, like through various mediums. First, we might read about them in Bravery Magazine, and then later we'll listen to their podcast on Rebel Girls, and it really just cements it in. To inspire the little rebels in your life to channel their spunk and make a difference in the world, go and find Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls on your favorite podcast player, and I will also put a link in the show notes. And speaking of channeling and guiding our children's spunk, here's my conversation with Dr. Katie Penry about setting loving limits. Enjoy. Katie, welcome back to 3 and 30. Thank you, Rachel. I'm so happy to be here. We are so glad to have you. This is your fourth round on 3 and 30, and I'm so excited about your new book, which I am holding in my hands, The Parenting Toddler's Workbook. It is fabulous. I read every single page, and you're just brilliant. I love it so much. Thank you. It was a work of love, for sure. Yes. For sure. I'm so happy to hear that somebody who has studied as much as you have and has dedicated her life to this work still loves the book. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why I love the book, because I feel like you've taken so many principles from these other books that I've read, and you just made them so much simpler and more actionable for parents, because not many parents are going to wade through a 300-page parenting book when they're in the throes of dealing with tantrums and behaviors, and you've just made it so straightforward, so applicable. And when I was reading it, I'm like, this is just the best of the best all put into one book. So congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. You know what? Parent time is sacred. That's why your podcast is probably my favorite parenting podcast. It's like three and 30 minutes. Let's get in and get done. You know, I don't got a lot of time. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yes. And one of the things that I love the most in your book is the sections on limits. Because as I mentioned in that intro, I feel like I've struggled with this. I have always prioritized connection, parenting without shame, but I felt a disconnect between, well, how do I still have limits for them if I'm parenting in a way that's positive focused? And Mm -hmm. I love how your book says that both are possible and teaches how both are possible. And one of kind of the core things that you teach is that you say that limits are an expression of love. So I was wondering if we could start with you kind of explaining that. How are limits an expression of love? All right. Limits create safety for the child and they clarify expectations. 
They allow the child to have opportunities for self-mastery and they give the child an opportunity to really learn family and cultural values in a safe environment. That's huge. But limits are also really self-loving. I think that they're a way for the parent to take care of themselves mm-hmm. too, you know, because we create these important boundaries between self and child that benefit everyone, that create more peace, that keep us less activated, yelling less and feeling less angry and more kind of settled in that relationship. So the limits really do benefit everybody in the system. And to me, that is why I'm just so insistent that they're loving, that this is love. Yeah. I love that limits are loving, not just for children, but also for ourselves by putting yeah. those limits in place with our children. We, it's an act of self-care and it makes us so that we're more emotionally available for our children when we put those limits into place. And I think just teaching them good behavior is so loving because they go out into the world. And if you haven't yes. taught them, then they don't, they don't know any different and you yes. haven't set them up for success in the world. It feels good to be good. It feels good to meet other people's expectations. It feels good to kind of have a sense for what's the right way to behave or what's the appropriate way to behave. It feels good whenever we have self-control. Those things, that's how esteem is built. Yeah. With this focus on parenting without shame, you talk about how there's some myths that we have about limits and about our children. And if we can kind of shift those myths, then we can set limits without shame. Right. So before we even get into the takeaways, I really do feel that we need to dive into the mindset shifts that you could establish right now that will help you create loving limits and help them come naturally. So the first one I would say is, for me, this has been absolutely huge, but you got to understand that your child's actual neurological capacity for self-control doesn't even begin to develop until they're three or four. And that doesn't counterindicate the necessity of limits. So whenever a child acts out and you've told them not to, I think it's best if parents kind of catch a beat and understand that their capacities for self-control are very, very limited. Hmm. The reason I can create and force limits with such ease and love in my house and with zero shame is because I fully believe, fully, like drank the Kool-Aid, that my role is to assist them with my expectations and their big feelings until they are able to do it themselves. So Mm -hmm. I really do look at it like they are a developing human. I have the skill set and the expectation. I have the frontal lobe. It is my job to help them along. And then to help them deal with the big feelings that come along with experiencing limits. And finally, I think that you got to know that just because something is normal doesn't mean it's acceptable. That's huge Mm -hmm. in letting go of the shame, I think. You can say, this is normal, but it's not acceptable. In my book, I have an example, for instance, of the dog that jumps up and jumps all over you. It's like super normal for a dog to be very excited when you come home but it's not acceptable for them to jump up to express that excitement in that particular way. And so your job is to help your child move from that base, quote, normal impulse to your Mm -hmm. family's acceptable expression of that impulse and acceptable behavior. Yeah. And it removes the shame from it because you're not saying that the child is bad for having that behavior. You recognize that the behavior is normal. 
And also that you're not a bad parent because they exhibited that behavior. Because I think so often when our kids act out, we take it almost personally and we think that it has something to do with us, which just adds to our anger and everything else. But when we recognize, no, actually it's normal for a two-year-old to hit her friend when she wants something. It doesn't mean she is a deviant. It doesn't mean I am a bad mom. But I also can't just excuse it and say, oh, that's normal. Ha ha, moving on. I need to set a limit and teach her. And we're going to talk about how to set that limit lovingly. I feel like we think it has to be one or the other where we're like, it's normal. So I just ignore it and let them get away with whatever. Or we think it's not normal and we take it personally and we shame them and we shame ourselves when really there has to be this combination, this understanding, like you said, that they don't have the ability to self-regulate. They don't have the frontal lobe. And so in your book, I love that you say something like our frontal lobe is their frontal lobe. Mm -hmm. They don't have it. Right. The situation needs a frontal lobe. And guess what, mama? It's yours. Yours is the one that's called to action. I mean, because they don't have it, you know? Right. Limits are the way that we sort of are giving them a frontal lobe (laughs) by setting those limits. Yeah. Yes, of course. And then like lovingly enforcing them and kind of coaching them to deal with that. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of us know we want this. We want Mm -hmm. to have better loving limits with our kids. But how do we do it? And I love that you really break this down and make it more practical in your book. So walk us through this. How does a parent develop loving limits, shame-free limits with their kids? Yes, that serve the child, that actually serve you and serve the whole system. You really need to know a bit about your values, your own personal limitations, and your hopes for the child. And how do you do that? Sitting down and exploring (laughs) these three things. Okay, Okay. so what are the three things again? Values, personal limits, and hopes for your child. Mm. All right, so let's dive into those really quickly. The first one, boundaries that are anchored in values are so much easier to enforce. So Mm. if we can sit down and think intentionally about those, it is just so helpful. In the book, I give a few examples of value categories that you might want to explore to kind of help you begin shaping your limits. Those are safety, health, and nutrition, community participation, family, and relationships. So those are a few kind of value categories that you can begin to think about. What is it in those areas? What do I value in terms of their eating habits? How do I want them to participate in community? Do I want them to be very individualistic or would I rather them be more communal? These things. Yeah. How do you, can you give an example of like, let's say one for, um, I'm just going to choose a category for like family and relationships. So I think we think like, well, I want them to do everything well. And I want, (laughs) like, how do you narrow in on what your specific value is within that? Can you give an example of something that other families might value that you don't necessarily value? What's your value within one of those categories? Um, For family and relationships, which is the one you suggested, respect for elders is really big for Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. And so whenever my children enter into someone else's home, they always greet the person as best that they can. And Mm. oftentimes I have to help them. Well, I'm Southerner. So we say ma'am and sir, but just a kind of deference that this person deserves respect. And that might be particular 
to Southerners, but that's very important to me. And so I try and think of ways that I can facilitate that value with my limitations. With the limits that you give them. Yeah. 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 So like whenever we walk into a home, even whenever I had hip babies, you know, I'm going first to the host of the home or the host of the play date. And I'm introducing myself. I'm saying, thank you so much. And I'm looking to the child and just saying, isn't this so wonderful? Thank you so much. Like I'm joining with the child to kind of express this value together. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I love that. Do you have an example of a value that maybe you've let go of? Like it's not a top value for you, that it, but it might be for other families? Um, I think that as I've matured as a parent, I used to have a lot of health and nutrition limits, you know, what they couldn't eat mm-hmm. that I have kind of let go of. Especially whenever you're talking about valuing connection, at some point with my son, he really... I don't know what it is, but he cannot eat meat. He just doesn't eat meat. And navigating that, I mean, this is what I'm talking about. I hold that value. It matters that you eat what I cook. And it really matters to me that you are healthy. But gosh, my expectations for what he's really capable of have changed. And so how I facilitate his diet has changed. Mm. I still have limitations. I still have values. I just have to find new ways to express those things to him. Mm-hmm. Because he just isn't going to eat the meat that I put in front of him. He's just not. Yeah. So that's probably yeah. the most recent one. I've seen an example of this with, even within my own sisters, I feel like we all parent very similarly and I really respect the way that they parent, but we have different values around different things. Like I have a sister who it's very important to her and her husband that the children eat everything on their plate and they eat what's been given them. And whereas that's not really a battle that we fight in my home with my kids. And maybe it's because my kids have different temperaments Maybe it's because we just have a different value. My sister's husband is like a gourmet chef and he loves to cook. Mm. And it's very Mm -hmm. important to him that his kids have a diversified palate. Whereas I'm kind of like, eh, whatever. You know, so that's an example of you can't fight every battle. You can't have every limit, but you do it based on your family's values. It's also a really great example of how you let go of a lot of shame and wasted energy when you clarify your values first. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really mature of you to understand that well, my sister just values something different than me. And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. Yes. So the way we parent at the dinner table, is just going to be different. And that's okay. I don't have to judge myself by her value. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's figuring out your values. And then our other categories in there were, what else are we figuring out, identifying? All right, you got to clarify your own personal limits. I love this one. Because whenever your boundaries recognize or reflect your own personal limitations. They can actually protect you from undue stress, help you yell less, help you be less angry. So you might want to consider your history of trauma, your stress levels, your sensitivity to noise and risk, how easily you're embarrassed, all of those things that are actually a part of our temperament. They matter too. They matter Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. When I read this takeaway in your outline, it was kind of an aha moment for me because I've always thought that my personal limitation, my personal limit shouldn't be taken into consideration. I sort of thought like, well, I need to change before my kids do. For example, I have a very, very quiet husband and he needs quiet and peace. Like he thrives on that. And I think I've always thought, well, he needs to change, not the children. 
But are you saying here that you can take into consideration your own personality and temperament and set limits accordingly? That's okay. That's absolutely okay. You know, (laughs) I love that you're laughing. (laughs) Well, because I mean, yes, it's both. I mean, your husband needs to be flexible, move towards the children and the children need to understand a little bit about him at a certain age, they're ready to really learn about his temperament and his subjectivity. And they need to be moving and respecting that as well, like kind of moving towards a center place on that. The noise thing is huge for me too. I'm always been easy to startle. I get really hyper aroused really quickly. If there's a lot of loud noise, I can feel it in my nervous system. It's just not conducive to great parenting. So we have to be kind of careful. Like inside voices is a very firm value in our house. And if they can't, if they just keep using their outside voice inside, well, we're just too excited. We got to go outside. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I love what you said there about how it's not conducive to great parenting. You have to recognize your own limits. If I don't have a limit around this, I'm going to become overstressed and I'm not going to be able to parent well. And so it's actually loving for my kids and me to have a a limit or a boundary here. Like for me, a huge one is alone time. I need it. I have to have it. My kids will do a quiet time every day because Mm -hmm. I am not a good mom when I don't get that time. I can't parent from the best that's within me. So it's loving to all of us for me to hold that limit. That's right. Absolutely. And this is really particularly important for people with trauma. People with trauma can get really hyper aroused and around little things. Sometimes a a certain kind of touch is very triggering. Whenever you're triggered, you're not being your best self. So try and help your kid not trigger you and Mm. you try and work on your triggers. Let's work on this as a family. Yeah. So good. And then what's the last thing we need to think about when we're figuring out our limits? I think that you should really sit down and try and clarify the hopes and beliefs that you have about success and what you want for your child. And to me, that's a little bit different than values because sometimes in my book, I have this exercise where I actually walk you through and imagine like creating a narrative about the prototypical well-behaved child. Just like go ahead, write it out, be as detailed as you can, and then look at it and wonder, is this actually reasonable? Because you will subconsciously attach yourself to those hopes and those expectations. Um, Mm. So go ahead and look at them and lose them if they're not helpful. If your idea of successful parenting is zero tension in the house and no arguing with your siblings, like let's, let's get a little real, like let's (laughs) name it. That's not really reasonable. And how can we be a little looser there? Maybe you need a mantra whenever your kids start to argue or whatever it is where you say, my expectation is a little bit higher than my child's ability or than Mm. what is reasonable. And just kind of, so kind of understanding some of those, trying to flush out some of those subconscious hopes for your kids. Yeah. At first, when you said that, go ahead and write it out, like your dream child, basically. I'm thinking, is that really healthy to write it out and put it into words? Because I don't want to hold my kids to that standard. But you're saying it's already there subconsciously and you are holding your kids to that standard. And sometimes writing it out makes you see, this is not reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) Like what I'm imagining and, but what pieces of this are reasonable? What pieces of this do I want to build a limit around and Mm -hmm. what can I let go of 
taking into consideration yeah. the temperaments of my children may not right. match with this right. beautiful yes. vision I have. Right. <laughs> I can't tell you how often I have had people, I threw this in probably as an adult psychotherapist, really holding that self-state in mind, because I can't tell you how many people come into my office trying to figure out who they are because their parent had a different ideal. Mm. And it's like, I grew up not matching, not being athletic. And my parent thought that the prototypical successful child was very athletic. So go ahead and write it out and then take an honest look at who your child actually is and try and work these things out together, holding all of those things. Mm. Got to clarify your values, personal limits, and hopes. That's a big step, but it's a really important one. Okay, that's the end of part one. And aren't you glad I didn't cut any of that out? <laughs> wow, Dr. Penry is a wealth of information. That was all initially part of one takeaway, but it easily divided into three because of those three different areas that she said we need to sit down and define. Write it out if we need to in order to gain clarity around what we even want our boundaries to be with our children. We can do that by asking ourselves three questions. First, what are our deepest held values as parents, the non-negotiables for our family in order to protect our kids' health and safety and teach them how to be in relationship with other people? Second, what are our personal limitations as individuals? How much noise, stress, interaction, and risk can we handle if we're going to stay in a mental space that will allow us to parent from the best that's within us? And third, what are our hopes for our children? Are they reasonable and aligned with our children's unique temperaments and talents? Which hopes can we let go of and which do we want to hold firmly through creating a thoughtful boundary and expectation for our kids? All three of these questions will help us concisely define what limits and boundaries we will hold with our kids, regardless of how hard they are fighting against us, how tired we are in any given moment and tempted to give in, or how much social pressure we might feel to yield. As Katie said in the interview, boundaries that are anchored in values are so much easier to enforce. Don't worry, next week Katie and I will discuss how to lovingly hold firm to your limits. Like, we'll give you some scripts and some templates of how to do this. But this week, we want you to do this first step, this most important step, of defining what you even want those boundaries and limits to be. Actually sit down and do a little writing and brainstorming around these three questions and discuss it with your parenting partner if you have one. In order to make that easier for you, I've created a brainstorm sheet with these three questions included, as well as some examples and thought work to get you going. You can download that at 3in30podcast.com forward slash limits. And of course, don't forget to order Dr. Katie Penry's book, The Parenting Toddler's Workbook, where she dives so much deeper into so many essential parenting topics in a very actionable and applicable way. This is just one piece of everything that she covers there. And I will link both the brainstorming worksheet and the book in the show notes. Friends, I am right there with you figuring out my boundaries with my kids and learning how to be consistent and holding to them. But after this conversation with Katie, I feel so much better equipped to do that and to do it from a place that feels loving and kind instead of dominating and shaming. I know we can do this together and I hope you have a meaningful week with your family.